Hello, everyone. Welcome to Jowl of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest to review Lucio Fulci's Murder Rock, Dancing Death from 1984. In the film, the owner of a prestigious New York ballet studio teams up with a male model to solve a series of bizarre murders of the school's students. To help me dive deeper into Murder Rock and talk all about this year's Fantastic Fest, I'm joined by a TikTok content creator who loves to discuss all things horror. My annual October guest brings his extensive knowledge of slasher films to this month's episode. You may know him as Slasher Reviews. I know him as friend of the podcast. Welcome to Jolly of the Month Club, Dylan Tillman. Hey, I am so thrilled to be back. I love that I have now become like a staple on this podcast for October. And I am just also thrilled that we're finally talking about Murder Rock. I've been trying to jab this one down you and be like, Murder Rock, Murder Rock, Murder Rock. Come on now. I do lean towards more of the fun side. Uh, that's also why, like, I am the slasher reviewer, and the reason why I love slasher movies so much is just the 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 formula of it all, just the standard of it all, and just how fun they can be. Um, but I'm once again, I'm just thrilled to be back. Yeah, it, it, it's not October if I'm not coming on Jalo the Month Club, especially. <laughs> especially, we just saw each other like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> we sure did, and had a so, great time too. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know you, can you give the listeners a glimpse into your backgrounds? Like many people, I love horror films and have loved horror films for a good majority of my life. I started. To, I grew up in the deep, deep South where, uh, you know, the Bible Belt. So I didn't really have a lot of people to talk about my obsession with horror films, particularly uh, slasher movies and just the completely uh, absurd ones. So I started talking about them online. I started on YouTube uh, and I was doing that for years and years and years. That's how I met Diana. I was like through the YouTube. And what fantastic. were some of your uh, fa- when you were growing up or like when you were just getting into horror movies? Like what were the ones you like really love that you're like, I have to see more of this? Friday 13th. Friday 13th. And I know some people are like, it's just a ripoff of Halloween. I'm like, well, you're boring. OK, <laughs> it's awesome. That entire franchise is my bloodline. Friday 13th was my first horror film I ever saw. Sit me down that spiral. Born in 92, so the early 2000s, for better or for worse, kind of like was when I was really becoming a horror fan. So I was going out to see everything. So like The Strangers, Paranormal Activity, uh, Drag Me to Hell. These were these were films that were like very crucial to my upbringing in terms of like new releases of the time. But also, you know, I remember, you know, watching Slumber Party Massacre and just like, you know, just like any type of slasher film I could get my hands on. Um and like just living off of like Chiller Channel. Like I was obsessed mm-hmm. with the Chiller Channel. I mean, I know that's not around anymore, but like the Chiller Channel, sci-fi, all that stuff. I watched it all, baby. I watched it all. And then, yeah, I just started talking about them online. Just sort of built a somewhat very, very loot, small, tiny following account of people who really liked it. Um, but enough to where I could start doing press stuff and then and doing festivals and then went over to TikTok for some odd reason. People just seem to want to watch the TikToks and I do astronomically very well over there. So I have a good time and um, I'm always talking about horror films, not just slash movies. Slashers are where I, my roots began and I like to honor that, but and they're also just my favorite type of movies. Uh, it's very rare. Do I dislike a slasher movie? 
kind of predictable in that regard. So when I do hate one, honey, I hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's like a slasher that you don't have fun with? They slash them from last year. Okay. It's one of those movies where I was like, this whole film is is afraid to be a horror film. Like, it's afraid to be a horror film. And I'm like, that that's, that's the worst thing you can be. You know, and it's like, I love the characters, but they're trapped in a really bad movie. And I mean, a really bad movie. And it felt like it was, you know, made for, it was like, let's make a gay slasher for straight people. And I didn't like that. Okay. And I didn't like that. I just I felt alienated. And I'm like, we finally get Kevin Bacon, my king, back into a camp setting. And this is all we have to provide. Mm-hmm. Literally, not a single scare happens until the last 10 minutes of the movie. I'm like, you're not sleepaway camp. I haven't seen it, but I did catch the last maybe five minutes of it. You said 10 minutes, but like, I'm nothing crazy happened in the last few minutes that I saw it. Last weekend, there was a marathon on, oh my gosh, I can't remember what channel it was on, but Jason Blum was doing commentary during the commercials, and they were promoting the new Exorcist movie. So I caught Sick, which we saw last year at Fantastic Fest, and The Invisible Man. But in between those two, They Slash Them was in between I left the house or something like that so I missed that and I came back and I saw the last few minutes of it and I was like oh that's what this is okay <laughs> yeah, there's a random musical number two halfway through and it's torturous to get through I I'm telling you it was a gay slasher made for straight people and it was afraid to be a horror film it's that it's that slasher was like I'm not homophobic I watched they slash them and I like that movie <laughs> And I'm like, I just, I could go awful in this movie. I hate this movie so much. And it sucks because I'm telling you, we have the best characters in this movie. I loved every single one of them. I wanted to get them out of that bad movie so bad. I wonder if there's a way to edit it. Right. Edit it to make it fun. Yeah, because it was no fun. It was no fun. I was like, this is, this is bad. I was like, woof. Well, speaking of fun, I know that you've gained quite the following over at TikTok, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fun vibes that are over there. I know that you're just not afraid to poke fun at yourself or dress in costumes or whatever. You're just you. You're just doing your thing. And I think that that was what shines through and that's what people really enjoy. I don't try to be truly brutal. Like, I don't want to be a bully, I think, online. And even though, like, I am a film critic and, like, I want to be honorable and be like straightforward but I also want people to viewers have fun I know that at the end of the day I'm just a swipe away and from being no longer on your feet so I just want to have a good time so yeah I'm not afraid to act a little silly put myself in a little dress or you know (laughs) shake my little booty around make thirst traps of Jason Voorhees because that is my husband let me tell you ladies and gentlemen tomorrow's your booze thing yeah we are filming this on the eve of Friday 13th and let me tell you my man is putting his gear on he's getting ready to go he's already dealing with crazy Ralph telling them that everyone's doomed I love it. I'm not, yeah, like on TikTok, man, I just want to have a good time. I'm always chatting with folks. I go live every now and then just, you know, to engage and like, I don't care if five people show up in my live or if it's 300, it varies, you know, uh, I just, I just show up, just be like, I'm alive. Let's chat about the latest <laughs> horror films. And, you know, I, I take recommendations. So what are your plans for Friday the 13th? Oh, 
honey. It is all about my man. Okay. It's all about my man. I'm going to be watching not, not, not marathon in the whole franchise. I'm, I'm definitely picking my favorites of the bunch. Yeah. What, I might have time for one or two of them tomorrow. What, what do you think I should watch? Stick with the Tommy Jarvis ones. I love four. I love six. There's like scientifically what people think is the greatest horror movie ever made. So you'll hear people say, it's Psycho, it's The Shining. Then there's the film that is like just great. And to me, Friday 13, part six, Jason Lives is the greatest slasher movie to ever exist. In my opinion, it's the precursor street scream. It's got just enough meta-ness. And even people, when they were like making their like, they pull the Jason Liz as like inspiration um, because it's when zombie Jason comes around, he's a little bit more self-aware of his power of his strength. So Jason Liz is my favorite and I'm going to rewatch that. Also, I'm so big into Friday 13th. There is a Friday 13th fan film that is coming out. Uh, Never hike alone Two. I'm a backer of it. I backed the first one. I backed never hike alone Two in the snow. Uh, I, I, I'm honey, I'm ready to go. And I owe Womstomp films my entire life. They kept us afloat, mm-hmm. us Friday 13 fanatics afloat when we were in a massive drought of no content. Yeah. Due to the lawsuit. Um, so yeah. Uh I'm Is that still, coming out tomorrow? It yeah, it comes out tomorrow. And if you, I I love Never Hike Alone. It's about like influencer who's like loves to do hiking videos he goes on a hiking he's video videoing it and he stumbles upon camp crystal lake and it's a free movie and dare i say i think that that never hike alone is like better than some films that are even canon in the friday 13 franchise then there was a short one that's like 30 minutes long um that's called never hike alone in the snow yep, and yep. you get to see jason in the snow Ugh. And then we get the sequel is coming out tomorrow, uh, and it's I'm I'm ecstatic I'm ecstatic I'm literally ecstatic I will be doing a full review on that one for sure, and so yeah it's all about my man so I'm gonna watch that I'm definitely gonna watch part four um, and part six I'll probably throw on a fun one so whether that be either Jason Takes Manhattan or um, uh, maybe Freddy versus Jason or Jason X which okay. I massive a fan of so but i think for you definitely four and definitely six what are your thoughts on the remake i love the remake i like the remake too <laughs> I love the remake i i miss that sort of like aesthetic that the early 2000s films yeah. kind of had like the characters are disposable but no one goes through that but the kills rule it the has kills a- were really good i saw that opening night i don't know if it was technically sold out but it was packed it was a packed theater and like that was just a crazy, crazy experience with everyone reacting, and it had been years since there's there was like a a legitimate slasher that had a following. There were slashers that came out that weren't legacy slashers that like weren't part of a franchise or like a reboot. Um, that really had quite the following as Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, so that, that was a cool one, and I I do revisit that one occasionally. Like if it's, if it's on TV, like I'll watch it. Oh yeah, me too. Um, and it has some of my favorite kills. I just love like the machete coming through the floorboard and uh. The um, sleeping bag and just like, uh, yeah, that movie is great. It's yeah, it's got absolutely disposable characters um, and it's a douche of the chat of all chads is in that movie. Oh, my goodness. But um, I, yeah, I, I had a great time with it. And uh, I mean, I'm such a big Friday 13 fan. I've read every failed Friday 13 script. I have it locked in my computer. So in case they ever go away, I still have them. Yeah. So like I am 
Jason's my man. Okay, that is my man. And I, yeah, it's all about him tomorrow. It's not about me. Well, since last month's episode, I attended Fantastic Fest and I've been watching some horror movies to get into the spooky seasonal mood. I was traveling for work last week and I didn't have much time to watch TV, but I did watch the new Scream was on television. So I was like, I'm going to watch Scream 2022 while it's on. And I've been watching Riverdale still. I'm on season six. Very on brand for this episode. I just don't know how many musical episodes there are or dance numbers. Like, how many musical episodes does the show have? Because I feel like every other episode I watch, there's a musical number. Yeah. I heard that you were watching Riverdale. Um, and um, you're so strong. And uh, I imagine that I've heard everything that I've heard about that show. I, it, it can't be real. It can't. It's- So I kind of like what they're doing now. They open season six with River Vale, which is kind of like a Twilight Zone-esque episode. Like every episode has a different theme and they're not in Riverdale. They're transported to like a different town called River Vale (laughs) with a V. Certain stuff's off kilter. The last episode I watched, Lucifer shows up to town and he's coming to collect people's souls and also coming to make deals with people for their soul and yeah so River Vale is the start of season six and that's where I'm at now I think I have I think there's six episodes of that I think I've watched three or four so I'm almost done with the River Vale I also think that was a, a COVID thing I think that they I don't know I don't know if that happened before I don't wonder when, when were these made but anyway today I was watching and I was thinking how many musical episodes does the show have very apt that I watched this as we were talking about this music and dance centric giallo uh, I would say most recently the thing that I've just absolutely loved and I can't believe it's actually real because it was in purgatory for the longest time Dark Harvest I was so petrified because I'm a massive fan of the novel uh, it is one of my favorite just classic Halloween novels. It takes place on Halloween about and it's it, it, it's a high concept story of pretty much like Hunger Games meets scary stories to tell in the dark where you pretty much have this town and you can't leave this town. But every hollow every October um now, the movie only chooses one name, but he has multiple names in the novel. Um, but they, in the movie, they call him Sawtooth Jack. Sawtooth Jack rises from the cornfield, and you have to kill Sawtooth Jack before he gets to the church at midnight. And all these 18-year-old boys, and like, I mean, like, the parents kick them out, and they, they send them on a hunt to go kill Sawtooth Jack. And they have to kill him before he gets to the church, or a big black dust will come through the town and will kill their crops, and they will have a very, very, very bad year. It kind of feels like something you would read as a goosebump story, you know. They were always told you can't leave. But if you win, you do get to leave. You get the ability to leave your town. You get a lot of money, a free car, and your family, who is now stuck in the town, gets a luxury lifestyle. So they get a nice house. They get all this money. It has to be 18-year-old boys. 18-year-old boys, because after the 18, pretty much the doors are locked. And no matter how hard you try, you don't get out of the town. Okay. You're stuck. It's from the director of 30 Days of Night. So David Slade even directed a Twilight movie, Eclipse. He directed five episodes of one of our favorite shows, NBC Hannibal. He's very active within the horror scene. I will say it kind of felt like something that would have came out in the 80s, writing off the success of Pumpkinhead, Mm -hmm. uh, but with the early 2000s aesthetic. 
And then, like, the Hunger Games. And, yeah, very Hunger Games because this whole, like, they're trying to kill something and they're all these young teens and the ki- parents are literally like, nope, you can't come in. They're, like, shutting their doors. That's like, what, in theaters for one day? It was in one day and it's coming out on VOD tomorrow on Friday the 13th. It's mostly practical. Creature design of Sawtooth blew me away. And he very much looks like Sam from Trick or Treat, but grown up. Okay. And I just loved the the look of it. It's got some rough edges and, you know, Luke Kirby's in it. If you watch The Marvelous Missiles Maisel, the guy comedian in that show, he gets to ham it up a little bit. So it definitely has that sort of like 80s, like ham acting where they're just kind of like disposable and just eccentric, very Halloween vibes. And we're sticking with fun. It's a lot of fun. And it's not afraid to get gory at times. And maybe it's because I saw it in the theaters and everybody was just you know, like <laughs> act, engaged. I had a great time, especially I went in. I was hyped but scared because I have the worst track record than anyone with book to movie adaptations. I have a terrible, terrible track record. They just love to adapt books that I love and make them terrible, especially The Dark Tower. Um, what about that Tom Holland one? Uh, we're just going to move on from that one. <laughs> oh, the Dark think. Tower. Oh man, yeah, I remember that. I was so excited for that one. Yeah, I'm. There was rumors of like the Amazon series for the longest time, with Mike Flanagan attached. I'm still rooting that none of these strikes, none of these pandemic stuff has taken that away from me. A film that we both saw at Fantastic Fest, Totally Killer, has made me want to go back and rewatch a lot of those like fun slashers. Happy Death Day. Yeah, have, I rewatched Happy Death Day. I rewatched Freaky. I try to make sure there is something playing, even when I'm not working. Like, I've got Pluto TV horror running in the background. Pluto has had some good stuff. They're really, their programming has been pretty good lately. Because it's like live TV, pretty much. You know, you can just leave it running. So I do Godzilla Channel, Bar Rescue, and then the Horror Channel. Yep, yep, yeah. Oh uh, there is a Adams Family Channel, and I stick on that one a lot. So they've, they've recently, I guess, lost some licensing to things because the channels have switched around. And I, but I used to watch a lot of the Adams Family when I was just working from home. So I would put that one on, and like, oh man, sometimes they would play like the same episode like three times in a day. I'm like, okay. Um, That's what they have a license for, is that episode. Exactly. Another Fantastic Fest has come to an end in Austin, Texas. This was the 18th edition of the festival. And as usual, it was a week packed with great movies and fun parties and good times with our friends, all, all of the things. Fantastic Fest is the largest genre film festival in the U.S., celebrating new voices and new stories from filmmakers around the world. The big events for the week were the premiere of the Toxic Avenger remake a secret screening of the newest installment of the Saw franchise, and restorations of The Strangler and Messiah of Evil. I was fortunate enough to spend eight days at Fantastic Fest, and while I didn't get to see everything that the festival had to offer, I was able to watch 32 features, 16 short films, and two episodes of the new Netflix series, The Fall of the House of Usher. I was also interviewed by Netflix at a very bad angle. (laughs) I am so jealous. I am so jealous. To talk about the newest Mike Flanagan series, which the first two episodes were fantastic. Actually, as of recording this, the whole series is out. Yeah, in fact, I've watched the whole series, and I think people are going to absolutely love it. 
Dylan was also in attendance at Fantastic Fest, so I figured this is the perfect time to share our top five favorite films from this year's festival. I saw 37 films, didn't see any shorts, um, because you're stronger than I am. I I can't do the shorts. But I saw 37 films, and my number five is Cobweb, um, which is from amazing director Kim Ji-Woon. Most people will recognize him from I Saw the Devil. Um, I just have to tell a funny little story, because I got so much flack, not from you, but from members of our film group, because y'all were all choosing to watch the new Pet Cemetery Bloodline at this hour. I did not see that. You were smart. You were smart. And I was But I like, didn't see Cobweb either. I can't even remember what I saw during that block. And then I tried seeing Cobweb the second time it played, and it didn't work out either. So that's on my to-watch list. But tell me why you loved it. Because it is in, in, incredibly well-directed. If you are a massive fan of the movie Babylon from Damien Chazelle, I would describe it as that scene in that movie where uh, they get talkies for the first time and sound, and they're all trying to experiment and figure out what's going on. It's that movie, that version, that little segment, but the entire film in which you follow a director who just finished shooting his movie, but he's so stuck in his head, he feels like it's not good, and that he needs two more days to film to make this movie good. He decides to shoot it in secret because he's trying to prove that it's not like a communist film or whatnot. And so he, it's like it's a comedy, not a horror, but it, he's uh, the movie has like horror elements to it as well. Um, so you see both the movie they're filming and them ba- making the movie, and it's just wild, fun, hilarious ride. And I just everyone, it was just a funny, funny movie. It's all about like making of movies and that movie magic and. He's a director who's like, I, I don't know how to make a good movie. You know, I'm just the fraud. And he, it's just a funny, funny movie. Of, and there's a really funny segment with um, a stand-in actor versus uh, just it's a great, great movie. And I'm, it's got incredible direction. Like it is like when you watch it, you just know that like it's made by someone who actually knows what they're doing. Like yeah. the, the camera moves and zooms in. like a lot of Sam Raimi flair to it. In a way, just just like it feels like the camera is constantly moving. And I loved it and I loved it and I loved it. And I it walked out of it. I was like, I just saw like actual cinema. Like it was like watching something that like Bong Joon-ho or something like that, like something from like an actual like filmmaker. While every all most you were smart, but while most of our friends were watching the new Pet Cemetery film and they were like, oh, this straight to sci-fi channel original film. And I'm like. Yeah, it, exactly. Because that's exactly <laughs> what it, they gave me so much crap. They were like, why is the slush reviewer not going to the horror film? And I'm like, because I'm a man with logic. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all took that free swag and y'all ran with it, honey. I'm going to go sit down and watch an actual art film. And it delivered. I loved Cobweb. So funny. So heartfelt. Made me love movies. And uh, I love movies about movies. And yeah, I, I think if you have liked any of his films, especially I Saw the Devil, uh, you'll get a lot out of this movie. I'm sad I missed it and I really want to see it. So, I, so I'm like writing down, adding it to my watch list, just to make sure I didn't, don't miss anything when it does come out. All right. So my number five is a movie that will be a while before I revisit it. The feelings that it gave me, which I guess you could say that about a lot of my top five, When Evil Lurks. That's my number four. So okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. 
In a remote village, two brothers find a demon-infected man just about to give birth to evil itself. They decide to get rid of the man by dropping him on the side of the road, way outside of town, but they merely succeed in spreading the chaos. Some of the rules, at least for me, were not very clear um, as far as if you get possessed. How come some people, when you get possessed, they do one thing, but other people, they do something else. But that could just be due to it being an Argentinian film. It could be the lore in a different country that I'm not aware of what the mythos or the rules are. But man, it includes some brutal, brutal scenes. It's currently in theaters and will start streaming on Shudder on October 27th. And it is Shudder's first Spanish language production. I agree. It is brutal. It was... It was ruthless at times to like, I was like, this scene needs to wrap up. I can't watch it. I can't like, and watching it in a cinema, I don't know how your crowd was, but my crowd was like animated. There were just like the woman next to me was holding her husband's hand. And I just kept looking at her and I was like, this woman is going to file for divorce. She is struggling. Yeah. I mean, there's probably even stuff that I missed because I was covering my eyes. I was kind of covering my eyes, peeking through, um, yelling, and yeah, just, it was an experience. Oof. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the the masses seeing it on October 27th on Shutter. People are gonna think it's possibly the best horror movie of the year. Dare I say, maybe the scariest uh, in a lot of ways. Like that and Talk to Me both just kind of like. Mm-hmm. Are just like, well, and that's the thing I would say about Winnie Valerks and Talk to Me is like they are bona fide scary movies. Like I would say that they like mm-hmm. are they are meant they're gonna and especially Winnie Valerks like we've seen a thousand possession films, but like there's a nice spin on it that we feel like we haven't seen in this and the way it marinates in this town and takes over kind of almost like a zombie virus in a way. It gave me big crazies vibes. Yeah. Like crazies, like just the way that it's something starts so minimal and it could easily be eradicated. Yeah. It and also- gone, And then it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And like, you know that the whole country is like in shit now. Yeah. yeah. It very much also felt like stuff like in the prime, both John Carpenter and even someone we're going to be talking about later, Fulci would have made in terms of like, it's not afraid to be like, dare I say offensive in it's violence and just pure shock value. Uh, and really, it really does kind of go for the jugulars. Uh, and yeah, no, uh, that was my number four as well. So it succeeded in what it was going for. Like, I know it, I know that's what it wanted. It wanted me yeah. like squirming in my seat oh yeah it was a movie i absolutely hated my experience with it but it was effective (laughs) that was your number four so my number four was a french film it's the animal kingdom oh did you see that i wanted to it was okay fantastic fest ticketing system this year was a little (laughs) a little we love them we love them but we we had to make some hard choices so i i mainly saw it because there's a french actress that i really like that was in it she doesn't have she's like third build but you know i i wasn't sure i didn't really know anything about the movie except for she was in it and that it was about a world that was hit by a wave of mutations where some humans were turning into animals oh so in the film, a man does everything he can to save his wife, who is affected by this mysterious condition. She is in a facility where she is half animal, half human. And they do a close-up, so you can't really tell like what animal it is. I cried four times. <laughs> it was very heart-wrenching, and it was very 
very much a French fantasy drama. I wouldn't say it's horror. I mean, there are some horrific things that happen because it is about the battle between people and people that they think are different than them. So there's some people, some people are not welcoming. Some people are welcoming. Definitely like kind of like a Frankenstein aspect of it, where there are some humans that are like out with the torches, like trying to find these creatures to hurt them. And then there's other people that are trying to save these creatures. Some animal or some of the humans eventually go full animal. It was just a very emotional film for me. I like that one a lot. So the animal kingdom. Oh, I love it when, uh, especially it's, at a film festival, when a film makes you cry. First movie that made me cry, and I think it was day, it was like day four or something, and I hadn't cried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see I, this. yeah, I only cried during one movie at the entire festival, and that was Concrete Utopia, which is not in my top five, but uh, it's the only film that made me cry at the festival. And I was like, now I too saw it on like day four or five, and I was like, Oh, finally, emotions um, that are not like pure shock because, uh, yeah, most of mine are all horror. My number three is because uh, I'm a man of taste. Uh, I have Saw X, baby. I am through and through a Jigsaw fan, and uh, I've been a massive Saw fan. I, like I said, in the early 2000s, I was forming my taste. So there was Saw. There was always Saw. And as someone who is not a fan of Jigsaw and Spiral, and they felt like fan fiction to me, to go and sit down into this one and to actually feel like I'm watching something that felt very reminiscent of the early 2000s, even down to its style, honey, I was, I was, it was love at first sight. I, like, yeah, certain movies, they might be better, but I had the time of my life watching this in the theater, and I actually got in the theater with talent for once. So, like, that was all just great, and I was just having. I, this movie's a blast. This is, dare I say, maybe, yeah, I know recency bias can be a thing, but this might be my second favorite Saw film next to the original. It's this yeah, and yeah. Saw 6, baby. They battle. I loved this. I loved the traps. It introduces maybe one of the best characters of the entire Saw franchise next to, like, Amanda and Jigsaw. I'm obsessed with one of the characters who are playing the games. Uh, well, I won't spoil it, but she is a a beast and the like love her love her i need 16 more films with her well that's the plan um, depending on how much it makes how much money it makes <laughs> yeah well so far it's doing very very well it's already past spiral it's entire worldwide run yeah. so uh I, I i love saw x uh this took me back i felt like i was just a kid in middle school again discovering horror and like there were times where i felt like i couldn't watch and like like, I was just, yeah, no, I, yeah, I loved it. The twist was great for the most, and just, yeah, no, it was just, it was Saul. It was Saul. It felt like actual Saul. And, yeah. you know, I felt like I hadn't loved the Saul movie like that since Saul 6. Uh, because we don't talk about 3D. We don't talk about Jigsaw. We don't talk about Spiral. We are out of the trenches, ladies and gentlemen. Jigsaw is back. It is, yeah. Um, Billy. Billy is back. Yeah, yeah. And I, oh, and I saw you got to meet Billy, too. I did get to, uh, I got to meet him, too. Big fan of his work. Um, <laughs> he, he brought the tricycle, too, you know? And I was just like, man showed up. Okay, and the little, his little shoes. shoes. The, yeah, the little, like, he stole those right off of Dorothy's dead corpse. I'm just like, man, he's just, okay. <laughs> uh, I love Saw X. Um, so I'm glad that your third pick was a secret screening. 
because yep. mine is also a secret screening. And I probably should ask you if we were allowed to do that before. <laughs> I was like, am I allowed to put a secret screening on my I, list? Yeah, I thought it was, yeah. Third was favorite film from this year's Fantastic Fest was Saltburn. Saltburn is a new psychological thriller drama written, directed, and produced by Emerald Fennell. The Academy Award-winning filmmaker, who you would know from Promising Young Woman, which was my favorite film of the year a few years back, brings us a superbly wicked tale of privilege and desire. Struggling to find his place at Oxford University, a down-on-his-luck student finds himself drawn into the world of a charming fellow student who invites him to Saltburn, his eccentric family's sprawling estate. Smart. It definitely has the thrills there. The cast is phenomenal. The cast is very good. I don't want to say much about it, but Saltburn will be released in theaters on November 24th. Ooh, putting salt on that burn, but I'm tisk. <laughs> I didn't get into that secret. I can't wait for you to see it. Everyone has told me I'm going to go, like, yeah. I'm, apparently something happens at the end that checks a massive box for Dylan, because I've had two people who say that, like, uh, Dylan, you're going to love Saltburn. You might want to go ahead and start carving the number one or even number two spot of the year for you. I was like, what? Yeah. So, like, I loved Promising Young Woman. It was I'm like, my- is Emerald Fennel going to take my number one this year again? Right? Promising Young Woman, really. I saw it, and I think that was another one that came out towards the end of the year. It was like a November or December release, and I was like, wow, I just saw my favorite film of the year 11 or 12 months into the year. <laughs> like, yeah, just, yeah. Sweep the list. Yeah, put a real wrench into that list, you know? <laughs> I'm just, I'm so jealous. I was, I was hurt because I did not get in. I didn't get into the first secret screening or the second secret screening, but honey, I was there for dog, man. <laughs> I was very happy there. So there were four secret screenings this year. I got into the first and the fourth one and then the f- two in the middle. I am okay with not seeing in a secret screening capacity. A part of me is glad that um, I did get into dog, man, because I do like transgressive films so I do like to watch films from maybe like transgressive filmmakers, stuff like that. And Dogman is a challenging watch just because of the subject matter and who the director is and his, you know, uh, allegations that he had. Fantastic Fest is kind of known for the secret screening. So it is it is a burn when you don't get into one. So when you have four, it doesn't hurt as hard. But no, it did hurt that I didn't get into Salt Burn. So I am jealous because okay. everybody I've talked Again, about. theaters, November 24th. <laughs> What's your second favorite? Wake Up, which is a slasher that kind of pokes fun at uh, retails, particularly Ikea. The film won't say it, but it does. Uh, It's from the filmmakers of a very bleak and mean little film called Summer of 84 and Turbo Kid. It's their new film, and I loved Wake Up. It is pretty much like take a bunch of influencers, Gen Z folks. They uh, go on this sort of like... Um, they want to make a pu- public statement. Um, so they break into like an Ikea at the end of the night. But little did they know that the security guard is psycho and he's like this like doomsday preparer. And he, it's pretty much them versus them in a, a in a warehouse. And it fully harkens back to like 80 slashers. It's just the kills in this thing are just out of, this was the biggest surprise of the festival. Like I, I, I did not select this, but I got into this 
And it was the biggest surprise of the fest. I had so much fun. It was that movie that everyone was just clapping and cheering. People were hollering and hooting. They're made by Canadian filmmakers. And they were just a blast in b- before and after during the Q&A. They even looked like they were crying because they were just overwhelmed by, like, the reception that people were giving their movie in the theater. And it was just so much fun. And it does, like, this... um glow in the dark sequence where like you know that paint that gets put on things that makes things glow in the dark that I've never seen done before and it is just so exceptionally well directed and I'm telling you the kills in this thing are ruthless and mean and just big old middle fingers and I mean these like everybody in this movie just goes through the ringer including the killer including the the Gen Z's kids and I yeah, no, I, I had a blast. I think if you're a massive slasher fan, it's a must watch. I think I will I uh, I won't I think that's gonna be a shutter release. Don't know when. Uh I could see it easily thriving on shutter. Um they had two films at the festival, uh that and then We Are Zombies, but I only got to see this one. Downplaying the just pure joy of this movie, but it is so much fun. Uh and it does feel like something that would have came out in the eighties cursing the ticketing system because I did not get into either showing of that. <laughs> I think you would have actually, I think you would have had a good time with it too. Yeah. Like, it's on my list. I, as you're talking again, I'm pulling out my phone, letterboxd app, adding my watch list. I'm like, it's already in my watch list. I'm, I'm right, so that was wake. Thing. That was wake up. Was that one just wake up to reiterate? Yeah. I really want to see that from what I've heard from you and a few of our friends. Sounds like a lot of fun. My second favorite film from fantastic fest this year is river. From the folks who brought you Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. It's a sci-fi comedy hailing from Japan. And for me, it's an instant classic in the time loop canon. I had so much fun with it. It was hilarious. It was cute. It was heartwarming. The ending, again, had me laughing my ass off. And yeah, it's such a good time. It was such a good time. I agree. It never never has like suicide been funny. Like, I literally died laughing. Like, that movie was, that man owns the concept of two minutes. Like, he. Not on the poster. Never has suicide. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm, that was my number six. I, I, own, I, part of me was like, I feel like I should put River at five, but I'd be lying because I just love Cobweb so much. But, uh, oh, God, I, I enjoyed we, it. It's, that's a film that I, I think a lot of people can enjoy it. Like, even if you are a hardcore horror fan or you like more serious sci-fi, like it's just a feel good movie. Like, and if you don't, if you don't enjoy it, then I don't know if I want to. Something's wrong. It's <laughs> too wholesome to not enjoy. It, it doesn't have a mean bone in its body, despite there being some suicide. <laughs> Repeatedly. Repeatedly. It's every two minutes it loops. Every two minutes Which it is loops. the first, so their first film, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, obviously, loops every two minutes in this yeah. one. So I think that's just their thing. Two yeah. minutes. Well, what's funny is because they could see in that movie two minutes ahead, but this <laughs> one is like two minutes in reverse. So it's like they're every, every two minutes, the time just restarts and they go back to where they started. So it is just a dagger. Can you? I just can't imagine being stuck in a two-minute loop. And they they squeeze those two minutes out. I mean, so many eccentric characters. At one point, I wasn't even focusing in on the conversation. I just kept thinking about the guy in the background. Yeah. As I know, it just 
it was just oh god that movie was so great I'm i want to so- see it again that's that's the opposite of when evil lurks i'm like i want to see this one as soon as possible yeah yeah so dylan i think we have the same favorite film yeah i think we do and i think it's okay. yeah well deserved well deserved it's strange so- darling strange darling okay. baby strange darling <laughs> easily number one but nothing came close one day in the twisted love life of a serial killer. And I also, I knew that Kyle Gallner, our fave, was in it. Those are two things I knew for months. So it was, what, second day was the first showing? Mm-hmm. So Friday, I was on a plane, and I had my partner, Josh. He had to do my tickets for me, because I was on a plane during the, the ticketing time slot. Um, not loving the ticketing system. But anyway, my lovely partner, Josh, was getting me tickets while I was on a plane. And I said, I don't care what you get me in any of the other slots. Get me Strange Darling. I said, that's it. Strange Darling first. If you don't get anything in any of the other slots, it's fine. I need to see this one. And I was so happy that he got me tickets. And it's my favorite film of the festival. Mine too. I too. I went in just knowing that, like, I think it's a killer like serial killer somebody's on the run but it's got cal garner and i'm like that's it you the cast has me sold and it was like an instant love in like the first minute like just the color of this thing this thing has that like pearl almost technicolor just everything's vibrant and beaming at you Mm -hmm. there's this massive score that i'm like this needs to be pressed on a vinyl I've got to talk to these filmmakers like this. I literally was like immediately emailing as I'm walking out being like, I need to talk to these people. Put, yeah. please, let me tell me there's interview slots. And so, you did. And I did. And I'm looking forward to releasing that um, close to the film's release because it doesn't have distribution yet, which to me is crazy. It's crazy. It's a Miramax film. Essentially Strange Darling. It's a cat and mouse thriller drama about the tail end of a murder spree, and it's beautifully captured entirely on 35mm film. I think the structure of the film is brilliant. I really was into that aspect. Of course, I thought the acting was great. Willa Fitzgerald is the other lead. It's basically just Willa and Kyle on the screen, and they're so so good. They're so good. I am, again, very happy (laughs) to have seen this, and I hope that it does get distribution soon because I will be promoting it until it does (laughs) yeah no this was like when there's always that one film at fantastic fest i walk out and i'm like this is my new ambassador like i am now the ambassador of this film my new personality yeah exactly like anytime that this movie is mentioned i have to chime in and that's how i feel about strange i'm so glad that we both had this as our number one because it was carved in stone and like even it was like i was just this movie is speaking my language like the score is just so it, the whole, it gives this whole movie like personality like from the start and i just i love that and i love it and i normally hate this type of structure for a movie and normally the and the way that they do it is the first time i've seen it where it's like this is actually clever is and there it, anything that you can share with the listeners that you found out within your discussion with the filmmakers and the composer well, one, they were good friends beforehand, so they, so it, the goal was to always bring her on board. Uh, so it wasn't just like we were shopping around or whatnot. The so composer. They, yeah, the composer. And she's actually a singer, So uh, and she makes these sort of like sort of folkish type of music, 
so the goal was, so she came in or whatnot, and they just had a great collaboration or whatnot. And uh, I know that Barbara Hershley's in the film as well, and they brought her on board because he's a massive fan of the Goldfinch movie. And he's like, I need Barbara Hershey because I just like the Goldfinch movie, which I thought was interesting. Of all Barbara Hershey films, that's like, this. I need this girl in my movie. It's the Goldfinch. That's the movie that did it. They're just wonderful individuals, and they're just, uh, they were very terrified, you know, because it was the world premiere for this film. So they were just like, I don't know if people are going to like it. They're probably not going to like the structure of the movie, and we're going to have to re-edit the film or something like that. And I'm like, no, the structure. Please do not. Please don't, because to to tell this story in a standard narrative thing, I think kind of robs the sort of just derangedness of Mm -hmm. On and it immediately made me want to rewatch it again now with new lens. She said she brought her own personality, like she knew like one particular style of like her music is like she knew that that's like what she does. And luckily she they, she had just a lot of freedom to just experiment or whatnot. And I was just I was just so glad that they like let the cat sometimes just walk on the keyboard and just go boom, you know, type of just music. It was just. They were just lovely people. They gave me like 20 minutes. Normally it's like you get five. A huge thank you to the team behind Fantastic Fest. You can follow the festival on Instagram and on Twitter. And I hope to see everyone next year, the last week of September, as always. Dylan, let's talk about the Jalo of the month. Murder Rock, Dancing Death. Listeners, this episode will contain spoilers. New York's best dancers are dying for a part in the next Broadway hit. With echoes of Dario Argento's Suspiria in its ballet school setting, Murder Rock features young dancers at a New York City academy that has an almost sci-fi-esque security system. The troop of young hopefuls spend their days jumping around in tights in leg warmers to the offbeat count of an elder choreographer and owner. She is training the dancers for an upcoming show, but is concerned to discover the show has been bumped forward two weeks by a seemingly ever-present Academy director. She tells the director the students will do anything for a part in the show. When the star of the class is murdered, most of the group is on high alert, but the school's owner doesn't halt practice. And the carnage doesn't end there. It seems the murderer will stop at nothing to get one of three parts that has been promised for the next Broadway smash hit, produced by a couple of leering men in suits. Released in April of 1984, Murder Rock includes such jalo elements as female nudity, a black-gloved killer, they're not leather gloves, but they are black gloves, recurring visions, and a the-show-must-go-on mentality. The film was shot between December 1983 and January 1984, with location shooting in New York City and interior scenes shot in Rome. Producer Augusto Caminito requested that the film, that was originally written to be a straight giallo, have dance scenes included after the success of the film Flashdance in 1983. Director Lucio Fulci reportedly complained that the film's producers had forced him into a musical, which Murder Rock isn't really in the truest sense. Yeah. Devlin gives off musical vibes if you haven't seen it, but it is not a musical. Yeah, yeah. There's a heavy musical music element to the movie. Uh, You'll definitely experience it in just the first five minutes of the film, and it kind of carries on throughout the movie, but it's not a musical. In an interview, Fulci stated that the movie was part of a music trilogy that would include two more Jolly, 
One, Killer Samba, and two, Thrilling Blues. The films were never made following Fulci's declining health. The script for Murder Rock was partially inspired by A Time of Predators, a 1969 American crime novel by Joe Gorse. However, the only aspect loosely borrowed was the subplot concerning a female rape victim who seeks vengeance by pushing a hat pin into the hearts of would-be attackers. Fulci does include a scene in the film where a female character is shown reading a paperback copy of that novel. So it's a little nod if you happen to know. The film was released in Italy as Murder Rock. He kills at a dance pace. It played theaters in the summer of 1984 and into 1985. The film made little impact at the box office and failed to make the top 100 of the year, even with the obvious attempts to bow to the obsessions of the year, including aerobics, breakdancing, and leg warmers. Yeah. The dialogue was shot in English, and the film didn't get a theatrical release in the U.S. until 1989 under a very misleading title, The Demon is Loose. Never knew that little fact. <laughs> What is There's no demon? There's literally nowhere near a demon. This is not a possession film. There's no religion. What in the hell? Also, Murder Rock, he kills at a dance pace. <laughs> that That's... I, okay, I kind of like that. <laughs> or like, one. Uh, I think Letterboxd has his uh, Save the Last Dance for Hell. <laughs> I saw one that said, um, Flash Ripper. Oh, God. Yeah, you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can definitely tell, uh, Fulci was forced in ways, especially with, yeah, with the Crave. Like, I think, uh, both Staying Alive and, uh, Flashdance had already come out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let me do that, but with murder. I know, but with murder, but also. He didn't seem too jazzed on it based on the few quotes that I found. He said yeah. like he was not he was not at all into it and he was forced into a musical. Okay. 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 Well. okay. I guess. I guess we'll we'll discuss. We do have a pretty extensive cast. There are a lot of members of this dance troupe, a lot of side characters, a lot of um young ladies that look alike. Um, but as far as the main cast, we have Olga Carlados as Candace Norman. She is um, an ill-fated ex-dancer with a serious fame complex. She can no longer dance or being injured in a motorcycle accident. And she is super serious. Super serious. She tells the class, if you want to be a success, you've got to grit your teeth and dance even when a friend dies. Yep. So the show the show must go on. Like the this is like this is like the most literal the show must go on jello. Like, so many times I'm like they're not going to shut this down. Like no, the doors are always open. It's like the killer yeah. can really be in the walls and they're going to be like we're still dancing. Did the security system like ever like come back around uh, besides the ca- like the television camera footage at the end? Uh, there's the one weird kiss that happens right before we get to the end, and they kind of, like, pan up and, like, there's a security camera, it's on, but, as yeah, yeah, there, yeah, that, that. Right. So it was super high-tech and did not keep anyone safe. No, no. <laughs> or help the police at all. No, not at all. 
Uh, next up in the cast, we have Ray Lovelock as George Webb. He was in Autopsy. Claudio Casanelli plays Dick Gibson, Academy director, owner slash director. I think also this, the Candace character is sort of an owner as well. You would recognize Claudio from What Have They Done to Your Daughters and The Suspicious Death of a Minor. So you'd see him in a few other Jalo films. We have Cosimo Cineri. Oh, man, I feel like I'm butchering this Italian name. As the lieutenant, he was in The New York Ripper, Manhattan Baby. And he is no dancer. He is all about business. And he just comes in and he's like, I'm all about business. Who did it? Yep. So, yeah. Jello element. Clueless police. Cops. Cops. Yeah. Yeah. And Fulci loves to have himself some detectives in his movies. And uh, these these are some idiots. Um, And then we have an actress from Demons, Greta Greta, who I know from horror conventions. She goes to a lot of horror conventions. She's anytime there's like an Argento thing, she's there. Anytime there's a Demons thing, she's there. Um, She plays a character called Margie, who is sort of the assistant to Candace choreographer margie has uh disagrees with the aggressive approach of candace yeah and we have an actor who is in tenebrae we have the director itself lucio fulci as phil the agent in a brief scene with a runtime of 93 minutes murder rock has a body count of five with all victims being female first up at the Arts for the Living Center in New York, Candace Norman oversees the latest dance routine choreographed by Margie. Candace tells Margie that the act needs even more perfection and preparation for a visit from three talent agents. The Academy director, Dick Gibson, meets with TV producers who watch a video of the dance, and Candace learns that the men will only select three dancers for an upcoming TV show. That evening, after the dance class is over, one of the dancers, named Susan, is murdered in the locker room by an unseen person who chloroforms her, then stabs her in the heart with a long hairpin needle. Mm-hmm. I love the little, like, flashing on and off light that is going on in this scene, particularly. Mm-hmm. Right? It's in the shower, so it was just kind of like, and it goes completely dark and then lights back up. So. Yeah. I guess for those who are, like, sensitive with, like, yeah, yeah. flashing lights, mm-hmm. flashing lights, you might want to be, like, it's slow flashing, but it's still flashing, I guess, so you might want to be cautious. Be cautious. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I also think there are a lot of other very stylized shots in this film, which is one of the more interesting aspects, at least. That, for someone, because if you listen to our uh, New York Ripper episode, I, I'm not the kindest person when it comes to Fulci sometimes um and I'm not crazy about that particular movie but this movie's got actual style the producers wanted it to be more of a musical and less of a straight jollo yeah. I had read that Fulci talked to the cinematographer and said that he wanted it to look like it was like a tv series or a tv movie he wanted it to be like real slick and shiny and I'm like that's so different than all of your other films yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah, um, so which is why I think it sticks out. It is probably one of his lesser watched films, I feel like, compared to his other stuff. But it sticks out when you go and you're, you're marathoning Fulci's work, because this definitely has a different type of rhythm. That evening at a local nightclub, another student from the Academy, Janice, dances alone for an audience and then walks home to her apartment. She finds Susan's boyfriend, Willie, waiting to talk. 
In her bedroom, Janice finds a photograph of Willie and Susan. But when she calls out to him, he is gone. Janice finds her pet canary dead with a hairpin needle through its body. Forgot about that till just now. That's also a little bit of a trigger warning of animal cruelty. Yeah, yeah, because you hear right. it chirping and then she comes back and then you see it. So you so do flashing have- lights, a little bit of animal cruelty. Yeah, mm. yeah panic. Yeah, but- you actually see the animal dead. So yeah, yeah. Panic, Janice runs to the front door where she's attacked and killed by an unseen assailant who thrusts a hairpin needle into her heart. Between the first two murders and the next murder, Candace sees visions of a male model named George, who she ends up befriending. Why? <laughs> they even- if I kept having dreams about some guy murdering me, I probably wouldn't want to be his friend. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get that too. Um, however, I will say... My favorite, like, filmmaking shot technique happens right around that animal cruelty and dream sequence. I don't know if you notice it, but, like, when the door shuts, it's like he panned the camera right into the mirror, but then he zooms out. And so when she turns, it almost feels like the camera does this cool little swivel, but it's really just, he's just, he zoomed it out when the door shuts. So when the door shuts, he zooms it out and it, like, passes by her. I was like, okay, Fulci dancing with this camera here. And I, 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 I had to compliment on that particular part <laughs> that happens right then and there in between the, the animal cruelty and when she, she's, there's these dream mo- that dream sequence or whatnot. Yeah. I, had to, I had to chime in. I was like, <laughs> okay, okay, Fulci. Well, and along the way, Candace is also attacked by her assistant, Margie, using the killer's motive. But Margie is subdued by the Academy director who then turns her into the police. I really was like, are they doing this reveal right now? Because sometimes you watch slashers and there's just a reveal in the middle of the movie. If last year we reviewed Dario Argento's Dark Glasses and they did that in the middle yeah. of the movie, revealed who the killer was and it just totally like killed any suspense. Yeah, yeah. But Margie is not the killer. She's just not agreeing with Candace's ways um, and decides to um, try to replicate the motive of the real killer. A few days later, Jill, another dancer who babysits for Molly, a kid who also likes to take pictures. Uh, when Jill answers a knock at the front door, the killer forces his way into the apartment and stabs her with the hairpin. Molly, the kid frantically snaps away, but does not get a clear view of the killer's face. The police arrest Dick, who is the Academy director, when he's found running away, claiming that he only arrived after the attack to find Jill dead. The following night, the killer attacks and kills Gloria in the Academy's locker room in the same manner. This is one of those kills that it's a character is introduced and you're like, who is that? And then she's immediately killed. In my description for her, I wrote, new girl with short blonde hair. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, this is a girl that I don't remember seeing. Unless I'm mistaken. I don't really remember seeing her, but there were a lot of dancers. And there were a lot of, like, boobs and a lot of, like, butt yeah. shots. And there's a lot of things that might have been distracting me. I think the first time I really, truly recognize her is she's the girl who, like, gets kissed by George when he shows up. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, her. She's one of the dancers. But we really don't know her. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, the next thing you know, it's like, yeah, I'm getting killed. She's dead. And this brings us to the final kill, the final reveal, and the third act of Murder Rock. 
At George's hotel room, Candace lets herself in and finds a hairpin topped with a lion's head and a bottle of chloroform in his drawer. She rushes out to her car and drives away. George then walks into his apartment, sees what Candace found, and tries to call her, but she is not home. At the police station, Candace tells a detective of her discovery and that George is the killer and names the hotel where he is staying. Candace then goes over to the academy, which has been closed down for the night, and finds Gloria dead in a locker room. She calls the detective and tells him to meet her at the academy. Frantically, Candace runs into the manager's room and finds televisions with music and videos showing all of the dancers who have been killed. George walks in with the hairpin murder weapon and asks Candace why she planted this evidence in his hotel room, trying to connect him to the murders. And then, typical Jalo fashion, <laughs> Candace reveals that she has known from the very start it was George, who was the hit-and-run motorcycle rider, who ran her over years ago, ruining her career, her future, and her life. She tells him that she killed the young dancers out of jealousy of their talent, their beauty, and their rising careers, all the while planning to frame him for the murders as a final act of revenge against him. She grabs George's pin holding hand and intentionally impales herself on it. Just as she falls to the floor, breathing her last breath, police arrive on the scene and reveal they already know that George is not the killer. When they saw the photos Molly took of the killer's jacket, they noticed that the buttons in the jacket were on the left side, indicating that it belonged to and was being worn by a woman. In addition, Candace told them details about the lion's head hairpin needle used in the killings, information that, since it had never been made public, only the killer could have known. George leaves as the police seal off and investigate the scene. And cue a dance sequence. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. The motive of the killer was a pretty good one. I feel like it's like a lot of f jolly that i see like female front at jolly where all along the entire runtime this character is supposed to be made out to be the victim she's supposed to be this she's supposed to be that and then at the end she's like haha no i'm not i knew which doesn't take away from the motive it always feels a little shoehorned in mm. i'm gonna test agree with you on that um because you are the Jalo queen. So you've seen far more than I ever do. Um, I don't really, I never really thought of it like that. I mean, I won't say it's just the female front at ones, which recently I've been watching a lot of the F Jolly. Maybe Jalo in general, which I guess I just have to embrace it for what it is. They typically shoehorn, like this is who the killer is. Remember this guy? But it, it does make sense. I mean, she had a career-ending injury at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And that was her motive for revenge. Yeah, no. And I, I actually noted that, too. I was like, wow, a killer motivation in a Jalo film that I'm not completely having to scratch my head mm -hmm. uh, at. Um, because normally... Also this explains why she want to be a f be friends with someone <laughs> that she had those nightmares about uh let's not forget also they totally go to like a uh a dinner scene or whatnot and there's like this psychic person is like murderer murderer and i'm like okay so it's clearly one of these two people it's either this guy or this ah. and i was like so that was like a big like that's a good pull yeah uh, I was like, okay, so when they're like screaming murder, murder, but the camera is literally just jumping back and forth, mm -hmm. I think. And I'm like, okay, so they're clearly telling us it's one of these two folks. With Jalos, yeah, it can be decrazed women or decrazed men. It's just like, 
that's the moment where I kind of figured out who the killer was. But like, like with most movies, I don't care if I figure out who the killer was. As long as I'm still entertained by it all, that's all that matters. Murder Rock was clearly made to capitalize off the success of fame in 1980 and Flashdance in 1983. You also mentioned Staying Alive. That is correct as well. Flashdance has a highly stylized look of a high-end pop video and was the number one film at the Italian box office in 1983, which explains the urgent attempts to latch onto its success, at least visually, for this film. Fulci does so with a look that isn't out of the ordinary for 80s Jallo. They're definitely a little bit more polished, a little bit more glamorous. So he was he was on point when it came to the visual look of the film. Dylan, as Jallo the Month Club's resident slasher expert, I'm sure you have a lot to say about the mixed bag of sweaty dance sequences and a killer murdering a group of people. I think it's impossible to not watch this and just, you know, take in, especially in just the first three minutes of just nonstop dancing of just how sweaty these people are. And sometimes they're more sweaty dancing than they are even getting killed, especially compared to other Jalo films. I think the kills, like the creativity on the kills, take a little bit of a back burner here. Dare I say I felt like the kills were a little bit more romanticized compared to other Jalos who can be very visceral, you know, and just pure shock. I felt like they were really romanticizing here with this hairpin. Could have something to do with it being a female killer because they can say typically when women murder, it's of passion. Yeah, yeah. And I felt that, too, Um, because, like, it would go in very slowly and it was always deliberate um with that hairpin and it was always just like a singular prick it felt like you know which was something that really stuck out with me especially like a lot of times with slasher movies it is all about the mess of the kill and that felt completely not here like everything was elegant and even down to the dancing the dancing is super elegant and choreographed but they're despite them all being like drenched in this sweat and you have this one track a lot of times that's just constantly being utilized they like they got the rights to this song and honey we're gonna play it um uh i think i even like wrote down like lyrics or something like that into it i was like something about like feels so good to be alive just constantly you know in a, in a, slasher, in a, in a film where people are dying at an academy yeah. so i was just like okay yeah, yeah, it does have that sort of polished chrome type of look that Jalo films can tend to have. I love this film. I'm not a fan of Fulci, personally. Like, he's very hit or miss for me. And I think the reason why I'm such a big fan of this particular Fulci film is because I think it does have a little bit more elegance to it compared to his, like, New York Ripper and, like, uh, Zombie and stuff like that. That, like, there's just, like, uh, like, like, I don't know. I kind of for the normally I'm not a fan of like producers trying to take away from a director's vision, but I'm like maybe these producers were a little giving him like beats of being like, hey, we want certain things in this particular film. Kind of forced him to be a little bit more self-aware about like what he was doing uh, on set. Yeah, no, I'm a massive fan of this particular Fulci film. Um, I had uh wanted to see it because I think I remember seeing just clips of the opening dance sequence or whatnot, just by stalking like on YouTube or whatnot. I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. And I am a massive fan of just a aesthetic, a vibe, a niche, something, some little attribute and just using that gimmick. And this obviously using music and dance um, as sort of like the beating heart of this film. 
if you were to like list out all my favorite horror films, there's always like some sort of vibe or aesthetic is trying to uh, accomplish and it running with that. Uh, and I felt like with Murder Rock, it the, the way that it utilizes its music and the sweatiness of it all, like this has got to be one of like like Toxic Avenger doesn't have this much sweat, you know? And I'm like, like everybody is so sweaty, and it's like, and I just loved and the dance, the choreography of the dance is like like an actual dance, like it's not just like some just like people throwing their hands around, like there's like the rhythm to it all, and I just I really loved that all, and like the dream sequence kill was always really cool. Like how yeah, she's like running, it's like flowing, like, like, like it's a music video. Like it, like, like it, like it truly is like a music, video. like the way it's flowing. And then she turns around and it's just like this elegant little pin goes into her boob. Love that. <laughs> Love that. There's a lot of boob in this. Like, yeah, there was. there's a lot of, uh, but lingering, like, like a lingering shot on boob, uh, a, a boob shot. Like I remember, like even like also like with the hairpin and then the boob. Like there's that one shot in the dream where like you're literally just seeing it from the very tip. Yeah. And I'm like, well, one that's just a great shot. Yeah. Uh, as it's running, and uh, I'm 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 personally a massive fan. I'm curious to hear where you fall on it, but uh, this is probably my second favorite Fulci film next to the Beyond. I just I love the vibe and aesthetic that this film presents. Uh. It's nice to see a slasher film that takes kills in a way and does them elegantly. Uh, I think it's just, it's a force of habit to just want to make it messy and just paint, paint the wall red. Uh, while yes, it makes the kills feel a little bit repetitive, you could say, but uh, I, I appreciate the almost, almost restraint that Fulci has to do with some of these kills um, for, for a Fulci level. I didn't love this. Some of the the reasons that you're saying that you did love it are the reasons that I don't. And it could be because I'm comparing it to Fulci's other work. I do wish that he chose a full exploitation route for Murder Rock. I would have loved more blood. I would have loved a little bit different method of murder. Somehow, like even if it was like, he smashes her head through a shower door and then he or she smashes her head through a shower door and then she pricks her with the hairpin. And then the other one is he really like chases her through her apartment. Then the nail, not just like not nail needle, um, chloroform needle, chloroform needle. I'm like, okay, I got it. But like, let's make it fun. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And what it's, what's so great about me and you is I think we disagree a lot of times on movies. So it, it's fun to finally, I think, have one where we can like kind of fight a little bit. Glad I watched it. It's yeah. been one that I have been meaning to watch and I knew I wanted to watch it with you because you have been such a fan of it. And going in, I thought it was a musical based on all the promotional art um, and the clips that I've seen where they're dancing. I'm like, oh, is this a musical? And it wasn't, which that was surprising as well. For me personally, I don't think the gore is the only problem with the film. I think the script is really convoluted. It's not a very strong script. And it might have something to do with there being four writers on this, including Fulci. So it could be a lot of different opinions and thoughts coming in, making for a not very cohesive script. But overall, for me, the film, it's very much just a mixed bag it has some stuff that really stands out that I love. Like, I I do love the murder weapon. I do like the eventual reveal of who the killer is and the motive behind that. But 
as far as being like a reasonable sleazy Fulci film, I think that it's one of his weakest in terms of screenplay and gore. No, this is fascinating because I actually think I like it because it's not so sleazy. And I think, uh, yeah, I like it because it's not so sleazy. Because you did not like New York Ripper, correct? not like New York Ripper. I mean, it's a rough watch. I can't remember my thoughts on it exactly, but I, I remember being really grimy. Remember, there's a good doggo in the beginning. Yeah, no. There's a lot of Fulci I'm actually quite not a fan of. I do yeah. like House by the Cemetery, even though the kid just like, oh, my goodness. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it's like I like this because it, it feels a little bit more restrained, and it's not all gonzo. Um, but, yeah, I do get that part with convolutedness. Maybe it's just because I, it's just kind of what I expect a lot of times with the Jalo films that I've watched. Uh, dumb cops and those dumb, those cops are so dumb in this movie that like it, I felt like they were able to get away with the convolutedness of the plot. Well, I had to, I had to ask about that security system because I was like, for being such a high tech sci fi s security system, how did that not help catch the killer? Yeah, especially in the final scene when they're, they're pretty much utilizing that. Uh, finally to catch these people with like the dancing and all the, the footage and like turning it on and off. And I was like, okay, so they are aware that this exists. Okay. So it's not just like, and, and I'm like, I've seen, I'm, there are places even to this day that don't have that much security footage. Mm-hmm. Like this place is like every single ounce of this building is under security footage. It's just a studio in a locker room. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need all of that. Yeah. <laughs> So for this episode's flavor of the month, I wanted to suggest three movies that I think would pair well with Murder Rock. Dylan, I know that you have some recommendations for what you think would pair well. I'll go first. We'll take turns. I right. like that. So my first flavor of the month is another Lucio Fulci joint. I think it's a far better film than this one. And I got big vibes when they had uh when candace had her premonitions and her visions and her dreams my first recommendation is murder to the tune of the seven black notes aka the psychic Um, i love that movie i think that it's an incredible f jollo thriller i think it has these cool premonitions and visions and i just think it's a probably one of my favorite folgies Stream the psychic on Tubi and Canopy. Mm. Well, one, I I have Demons because I felt like Demons was just a good vibe to pair it because of one of the actors starring in this film. So, you know, I like to look at what the actors have been in. And I feel like get the kind of opposite level of visceralness with the kills and demons than you do here. So I thought like maybe you get that sort of faulty, just sort of like outrageousness though. But, uh, and plus, Demons is just a good time, and I like the music, and like I feel like that that there's like a rhythm to that particular chaos. So there's that chrome mask, uh, lo- and I just love Demons in general. And Demons too. While while you're at it, you should go and watch Demons immediately <laughs> after. Triple feature. Exactly. Exactly. My second pick is a musical. I don't. I mean, going in, I was like, this is gonna be a musical, and I had a, some musicals in mind. It's very very different vibe than this film from Murder Rock. It's from 2017. It's Anna and the Apocalypse. Ah! So I, it's a, a British Christmas zombie musical. When the zombie apocalypse hits a sleepy town at Christmas, teenager Anna and her high school friends have to fight, sing, and dance to survive. 
there's musical numbers. It's a kind of a feel good movie. There's some emotional parts. I think that this would be a great addition to your Halloween marathon or even your holiday marathon. There was recently an announcement of a sequel and you can watch the original first movie Anna and the apocalypse on canopy. Mm. Well, I feel like I need to tag my little musical that I have after <laughs> that. Uh, and I have a film directed by Darren Lynn Bosman and it is repo, the genetic opera. Okay. I love this movie. It is a movie that is just beaming with personality. Um, it kind of has, it's very 2000s. Uh, it came out in 2008. Uh, it is an opera. Um, and it has Paris Hilton in it. It is violent. It is gory. Everybody knows Zydrake Anatomy. Um, I love that song. Uh, Zydrake comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial. I, I, I've I always had a soft spot for this movie. It, some people say it's just so bad that it's good. But I don't know. I, I think when you're making a movie, if you can find a way to give a film a singular style regardless of whatever imperfections it's going to find audience members for it. Uh, and I just think that the reason why I think it pairs so well for this is because the way it, it utilizes its visual palette is just so unique. And uh, yeah. And the, the dancing is cool. Didn't the filmmaker shout that out during the Saw X Seeker? Yes. We learned that uh, in order for Darren Lynn Bosman to get Repo, the genetic opera made, he had to pretty much sign on to three Saw films. He only wanted to do two. He wanted to do Saw 2 and Saw 3. But to make Repo, the genetic opera fully financed, he had to do Saw 4. I have always been a massive fan of this. I've always loved the music number. It's kind of got like this comic book like aesthetic to it. And then yet it's like an opera, so it's like hard rock music, and Paris Hilton's in it, and she may lose her entire face. Violent is, is super, super violent, and it has Alexa from Spy Kids, uh, one of the little girls from Spy Kids. She's in it. Uh, I, I love this movie. I love this movie, and I would. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just bizarre. Um, you're gonna see nothing but either one star reviews or five star reviews for this film. Uh, you can watch it on Tubi. I do know that. You can watch it on Voodoo as well. Ooh. Oh, I mean, and Pluto. Oh, Pluto. Look at Pluto. Always coming in clutch. Cool you can always press Pluto. <laughs> My final flavor of the month pick is Too Beautiful to Die from 1988. You mentioned one of the reasons that you like this film is because it's a little bit more polished and elegant and has more restraint than some other Fulci films. That's like Too Beautiful to Die in a nutshell. Just to look at, it's basically an 80s music video with Jalo slasher elements. It's really good. I mean, I think that if you're vibing with... Also, how many times can we say vibe or vibing throughout? Right. <laughs> if you're vibing with the aesthetic of murder rock, I think that you would be very much into Too Beautiful to Die. It is streaming on Tubi. Highly recommend. I also did an episode on this film a few months back with Sam Panico. He was a great guest, and he had a lot to say about the film. So once you watch Too Beautiful to Die, go back and listen to the episode, because there's a lot of stuff that I did not catch first watch that Sam enlightened me to, and it was amazing. So Dylan, I know that you have a lot going on with it being spooky season. Is there anything that you would like to plug or promote while I have you on Jello the Month Club? 
Yeah, um, well, it is indeed spooky season, so I'm in full swing of just coverage. Uh, I am, My inbox is full with horror movies constantly, so I'm reviewing a ton of stuff over on my TikTok slash reviews. I'm just making sure that I post regularly and consistently and just doing fun little skits and stuff like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so like also there is a lot of hard news that going on. So I'm also doing a lot of coverage of that stuff. Um, but yeah, like, look, if you just want to have a fun time, uh, every, I know you have TikTok downloaded on your phone. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself if you're listening. I know you got it. All right. Come find me slash reviews. There's a great community. A lot of people think this is just kids little dancing on that app. It's not. There's an amazing horror community over there. We are breaking down disturbing films. We're having a great time over there. Uh, and we're making sure that we are talking all things spooky and Halloween over right now. So right now, yeah, I'm just living my life. Uh, I have a couple of live events that I'm planning for the month of October. So if you just want to come and vibe out, come follow me because uh, my my page will notify you the, when those dates are. So you'll get notified and get a little notification when when I go live. I'm very active. In fact, maybe too active on social media. I'm on Twitter slash reviews. I'm on Letterboxd slash reviews. I'm on Instagram, which is slasher underscore horror underscore reviews. Um, but literally pretty much if you search slasher reviews, I'm going to be the first thing that pops up that I have. I have pretty much tagline that that username. <laughs> yeah. You've taken it over. Yeah. As you Anytime there's a social media account, I immediately get in and I make sure that I have an account with slash review. So even though I'm not utilizing it, say if it pops off later on in the future, honey, I already got that name. Someone, no one else has taken it. Follow me on Letterboxd at Diana NK. You can also follow me on the new Blue Sky app. I'm on there. X, aka Twitter, Instagram. Jaw the Month Club is now on Letterboxd, so you can follow the list titled Jaw the Month Club for every movie reviewed on the podcast. It's all in one place, so if you want to go back, watch a movie, and then listen to an episode, it's so convenient because it's right there. I also link to the episode within the review, and I also rate and review the film. So if you ever sort it by, like, my highest rated one, you want to watch all that, or the opposite way, you want to see what I rated a one or a two star, and then you can go go that way. We love Letterboxd. Yeah, no, Matt, Letterboxd literally saves my life, and I am so psychotic on Letterboxd. Every movie I've ever Letterboxd, I've given a score to, and I've written something about um, but I don't write, like, full-blown reviews half the time. I mostly just make a joke. Yeah, um, mine are hardly ever serious. The Animal Kingdom, I gave it four stars because I cried four times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. this is four stars for every time I cry. <laughs> no, I, I have I have one movie I still need to log. I watched Freelance, uh, which was the Regal Mystery movie. It's getting mm-hmm. one star because I laughed literally once, and it was in the last 10 minutes of the movie, and I have never felt more embarrassed. Like, when you're watching a comedy and not a single person laughs, you're in a unison that this movie's bad. Why did I laugh? Like, I felt bad. Like, I was like, no. And then nobody laughed for the rest of the movie. Like, so it's getting one star. So I do need a letterbox that. But, like, I don't like it when my letterbox doesn't, like, look pretty. So it gets important that, like, the movies that I'm watching also, like, are aesthetically pleasing when I'm going to my pro. Like, that's just a pet peeve of mine. Like, it's October season. I don't want to show comedies that I'm watching. I letterbox Dick's the musical. And I was, like, already, like, this is not <laughs> aesthetic. I came back from Fantastic Fest and saw the Talking Heads documentary, and I was like, this is so different than everything else I've been watching. Yeah. <laughs> the past couple I, of 
finally caught a haunting in Venice, and then I rewatched Saw X. Then I got Dicks the Musical sticking out like a sore damn dick, and then I got Dark Harvest. You can also follow Jalo the Month Club on Instagram at Jalo Club for all of the Jalo goodness you can handle. Logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find his Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Dylan, thank you for being my October guest. It's always so fun. And I know that you'll be back in 12 months. Exactly. I just, I already know I'm marked in. As always, I'm your host, Diana Koch. And I'm Dylan Tillman. 